Somna program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue our Christmas Eve edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and we turn our attention this hour to award-winning and critically acclaimed author A.K. Fraley, who um, blends... um, historical fiction with science fiction and she has uh, a new book the fifth in uh, her most recent series old earth and I, and she'll have to tell me if i've said this correctly old earth melchior encounter and uh, she joins me by phone hi and welcome to the show hi tom thank you for inviting me did i say the title of your book right Yes, you did, because Melchior actually is a reference back to the Melchior of the the wise men in the early Christian world, so it's set in the 5th century, so it kind of works, and it, it is what you think. 
I don't know, when I first looked at the word, it looked like a, like maybe it referred to a choir of guys named Mel. But, um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's it's referring back to the to the biblical Melchior. So yeah, the um, traditional. Let me let me ask this first before we get into uh, sci-fi and uh, historical fiction. And I'm such a huge fan of historical fiction. Um, but why publish under the name A.K. Fraley and not just simply Anne Fraley? Well. Originally, when I started uh, writing, it was my husband who encouraged me to try something uh, because I'd been working on a, um, it was more like a catechism with my kids using the Lord of the Rings because the heroic elements of the Lord of the Rings and then the kind of the demonic elements were so striking and it catches kids' imagination. And so he was like, you need to write this down. And that ended up being my first book which is, it's a nonfiction, but it's a look at uh, the Christian mores of virtue and um, vice through the characters of the Lord of the Rings. And when I wanted to uh, put my name, I was kind of embarrassed because I was like, you know, I'm a nobody and I don't, I'm just a mom. And I, I thought, well, I'll just put AK and people can kind of, you know, make of it what they will, and it was kind of a nod to J.R.R. Tolkien, who used his initials, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just do it this way. I, I thought maybe it was um, just avoiding possible um, gender discrimination in that particular genre, um, the way that, that J.R. Um, did. Well, I, there is that possibility, but for me it was more just um, I didn't know how it would go out, you know, how it would be received. And I'm, I'm a pretty private person, even though my writing you wouldn't guess now because I've come out with, you know, a lot of my own personal journey story. But um, it was really just a, a way of, of putting a, a name but not really focusing on me. It was more the focus on the book itself. Gotcha. Um, when you talk about... Um Christian morality in in <laughs> science fiction stories. Could you say the same thing about is good and evil sort of um, part of of storytelling and especially in science fiction? Could you say, for example, the same thing about Star Wars? I think it's a core of good storytelling, and I think it's the core of what any true art does, which is you know to to reflect back to humanity the best and the worst of ourselves. So that it's either a lesson learned or a failure, a cautionary tale. So we look at other stories, we look at the true epic tales of, I mean, go all the way back to biblical stories, pre-Christ stories, the Old Testament stories, even stories of Gilgamesh and the, ancient, the Iliad, the Odyssey, they all are heroic epic tales of humanity at their best and humanity at their worst. And what do we take away? What do we as individuals choose? And how do we look at it? And what do we learn? And where does it carry us? Is good storytelling as simple as um, good guys and bad guys? Oh, no. <laughs> no, because life isn't, life isn't, doesn't work that way. And, I mean, I, I think we, as a child, you know, I've, I have eight kids, and, 
and growing, you know, as they were coming up and I used to read them stories and they would, I remember them very specifically saying, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? They wanted me to nail it down. And in, you know, some of the early stories, it was kind of predictable. It's, it's like white hats and black, it's like white hats and black hats in the old, uh, uh, Western, uh, TV shows, black and white. Yeah. White hat, black hat, yes, exactly. And it wasn't always according to what you would expect, but it was always according to the fruits of the deeds of the person. What, what, they may look like the good guy, but if all their actions, you know, if they're deceiving everybody, you know, you kind of tell. So kids need, they need to grow into a sense of what defines good and what defines evil. And that's what parents are supposed to do. That's what, that's what guardianship of the generations is supposed to do. We're supposed to pass on the the identity of what does good look like and what does evil look like? What do we, but you get into those teen years, you get into, you know, you grow up a bit and you find out that we're very mixed beings. We're very mixed characters. And the people who have done some really evil things at moments of time, maybe because of bad examples in their lives, generational, uh, Haunting generational sin. I mean, that's what my, my um, the five books, the older theories, really deals with. Aram, who is a character that comes into play in the land of Ur. This is before Abraham. And it, it really was created to bring out that human struggle to understand who is God and who am I and what is he calling me to be? Because... There were a lot of God images in the land of Ur. There were a lot of gods being worshipped. And Aram in particular was one of the few who starts to go, is there only one? Is he complete? And that struggle of humanity to between the good and evil, not only outside, but within ourselves. Yeah, and I was going to say, in, in really good storytelling, the, the good and evil is explored as two parts of of the same person. Right. Regardless of who's the hero and who's the villain. Exactly. And in the character of Ishtar, who is in Aram, and he's one of the main characters in Aram, and and then he takes over as a lead character in the next book, he has what I would call generational sin. His, and this is what a lot of people still today, I mean, very much so, still deal with, in that we inherit the sins of our fathers. And I don't necessarily, I don't mean that we inherit the punishment, but we inherit the habits, the outlook, the crippling effects of all sorts of abuses, the lack of uh, being nurtured, the lack of being cared for, uh, drugs and alcohol, all of that stuff that follows us. Ishtar is the inheritor of that. Or some negative predispositions. Yes, yes, exactly. Prejudice and violence and, and other aspect oh exactly exactly and so ishtar inherits that he has to struggle and he comes out and not to tell the whole story but all my stories i realized along the line like you said we are mixed beings we are all mixed characters and some people do fall to tragedy neb in the next book is a character who to every human being has the ultimate choice of barbarism to sanctity. We all have that, that entire spectrum, and so Ishtar takes one path, Neb takes another. 
And then you go into uh, the Christian era with Georgios. And then finally, the fifth book, I jump into the fifth century with the Anglo-Saxons in Britain. And Melchior, again, he has that choice. And he's very tempted. He's a father wanting to take care of his family in bitter circumstances. And again, every case we look at, how do we deal with our brokenness? our humanity in a, in a broken world. And is uh, time travel the best way to blend historical fiction with science fiction? <laughs> there is no time travel. Now, I don't do time travel. It confuses the heck out of me. <laughs> so I don't do time travel. All of the, what I like about, actually I wrote the original series just as historical fiction. Then, after my husband passed away, he had leukemia, and he fought it for mm. four years, but he passed away, and I had been doing writing, I think it was very cathartic, to work through some of the struggles of the human journey against odds. You know, how can horrible, horrible things happen to good people? I mean, my husband was a, was a really good man, a very loving father, and he got struck down at a relatively young age with a terrible disease that no matter how he fought, he couldn't beat, and it killed him. And those questions really needed to be grappled with. They'll always be grappled with. And so, but after he passed away, I realized I need to do better. My writing is okay, but it wasn't great, so I went and got a uh, graduate degree in writing um, through how, Wholesale uh, University. How far and were you into... Science fiction. How far into writing were you when he passed away? I, I mean, you're at, this is your, what, 15th book now? Yeah. Um, let's see. I had gotten, I think I had gotten most of the, um, the, f the five books written, but they were all written, like I say, as historical fiction purely. And to be honest, they were, they were a, um, a first effort. They weren't the best. They were my first effort at writing without a huge amount of training. So he passed in 2013, um, almost exactly eight years ago. And so it was just before Christmas. So when after he passed, it took us, you know, a year, a couple of years to get our feet back for us. And what in 2016, I went ahead and got that uh, degree. And then I realized the power of science fiction and how, and, and I guess through that journey, the big lesson was I was never alone. I was never, I never really was alone. The grace of God, the community, uh, the way people came out, people I never knew came out to help and support us. And so then I, I thought of science fiction. I thought about humanity. Are we alone in the universe? And so I added in the science fiction world to the original novel. I want to pick up on that and, and a lot more, but I have to take a short break here. And can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? All right. My guest is uh, A.K. Fraley. She is the uh, author of um, a new book. It's the uh, fifth in the series in her 15th book called Old Earth Melchior Encounter. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Everybody's as well. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our Christmas Eve edition of the Tom Sumner Program with author A.K. Fraley this hour talking about her 15th book, the fifth in a series, the newest Old Earth Melchior Encounter. And uh, she joins me by phone. And welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, no problem. It was entertaining. Good, good. I'm glad. Um we were talking a little bit about good and evil in the last segment, but let's talk about boundaries and rules. When you get into sci-fi, it's it's kind of like writing about magic. You can, you know, in some ways make up your own rules. Do you have uh, boundaries that you prefer to stay oh, within? Oh, yeah. I, as a matter of fact, that's why I'm... Why wouldn't call science fiction hard science fiction? Because I'm simply not, I don't think I'm intelligent enough to do the really hard science fiction with all the technological uh, aspects of it. My science fiction is based on more of a Star Trek image of kind of the drama of, of what any created being would be going through. Any created being that would be looking at Earth and reacting to that. And they're going to have their own passions. They're going to have their own problems. And what if even if they're technologically advanced, um, they're going to have to play by some rules, like you talk about. Um, there are about five different alien uh, groups that I have in the old Earth series that comes out um, in the kind of the uh, turning point book, which is comes after Melchior's last of her kind, that's where old Earth ends and the new Earth world begins. New Earth is when basically Earth is no longer inhabited just by humans. Humans are now the minority. But in the old Earth world, these five, these particularly three groups of aliens, um, each are come from a different planet, have a different government, and I have a whole Bible quote-unquote Bible, um, of their characteristics, of their government, of their language, of their, what binds them as, as a group of people or a group of beings. So, yes, I, and I think that's very important because I don't enjoy when, I, when I'm just kind of like on a quicksand of a story that the characters suddenly have superpowers. My characters don't have superpowers. They have abilities that they were created with. Just like we have abilities that we were created with, our brains and our minds and our hands. I'm so, glad you mentioned or made this uh, Star Trek reference because I saw Gene Roddenberry speak once and he was talking about the very thing you were talking about in terms of these are the same kinds of stories that could happen to all of us. It just happens to be set in that futuristic background and he you know and and he joked that when he was creating the series before he had the title star trek his working title was wagon train to the stars right right because <laughs> right. it was just exactly. it was the same kinds of um dilemmas and and situations that people go through in all different times Right, right, and that's what's cool about fiction, and that's why I loved why when I married the the historical fiction to the science fiction, which 
I, it was interesting because I got a, a lot of really, really great reviews from, you know, online book club and uh, Publishers Weekly and all of this. The only comment Kirkus made in particular was that there, the science fiction didn't feel complete. Well, the science fiction isn't complete in the Melchior book because the science fiction arc actually starts in Aram and continues because those characters live longer. They're, they're much longer living rates of beings, and you do go through a generation, but they don't actually finish. They continue into Last of a Kind and then the newer series. So the arc is a much bigger arc, and the, um, the characters are much longer living. So the science fiction aspects, that, and that's what I did love about Star Trek. Star Trek took themes that could be developed, even though Kirk and Spock and, you know, Dr. Um, McCoy, each episode was unique, their personal journey continued over the entire series. And that, I find, you have two different things. You have a, a story arc, but you have character arcs that are transcending. And that I really enjoy doing. Well, yeah, and there's... Um did you know when you started writing Old Earth that it was going to be a series? It was always a step by my whole life is one step at a time. <laughs> so I, no, I, I ask didn't. writers that, and because I, I always have this feeling that a writer will sit down, write a book, get to the end, and think, but wait, there's more. And right. then it becomes a trilogy or a series. Right. But then yes. there are some people who sit down and think, it's going to take me five books to tell this story or more. Yes. And, yeah, and some writers are outliners, and they get the whole idea in their head, and they outline it. My stories are not that cooperative. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I outline an idea, and my characters will go off and do their own thing. And so, though I do have certain frameworks, that I know need to happen. You know, I, I know there's going to be a certain conflict. I know there's, and each, see, what I did with the old Earth, because there are a lot of characters, because there is the, the old Earth characters, the, the historical fiction side and the science fiction side, I start each chapter with the name of the person whose point of view you were looking at. I also have the location as a heading. So, you know, as one reviewer said very nicely is, you can't get lost. You know where you are and you know who you're journeying with for that chapter. And so it makes it, because I don't like getting lost, and there is a lot to know. But I want, care, I want the reader to relax and enjoy the story and not be falling around trying to figure things out. When you're writing this this series and when you began... Did you start with a group of characters and then come up with what might happen to them, or did you have a story in mind and then cast it the way somebody might a movie or TV show? Well, with Aaron, when I first started, I had the land of Ur, and I had the idea in my mind, these are people before Abraham, what was, how did they define themselves? How did they manage? Because I... I really think humanity's been going through this upheavalish kind of growth, you know, growth spurts. And there must have been a time when people 
when someone or some family, some clan goes, how many gods are there? Or is there only one? And had, for the first time, perhaps a personal relationship where they really began to, to feel a sense of uniqueness, that they, as human beings, were different from everything and everyone else. And that they, they needed a code of ethics, that there was a difference between doing something to just take care of yourself and do whatever it takes to take care of yourself, or to care for the vulnerable, to, to be noble, to be courageous, to have those, those higher, uh, uh, I don't know, you call them ethics? But they would got that sense of morality, that developing sense of morality. So I look back in the Bible, and I did not take anybody, because I, I don't know, but I, I took some of the names from the Bible, and I pondered. Aaron was uh, is somebody in the Bible in that early, early time, and I took some of the other names. And they just started to come alive, dealing with those struggles. And then, yes, the story kind of lent itself to new characters, who were both out of that struggle. Now, Anne, your husband passed away, what, almost eight years ago, I think you said? Yeah, eight years ago on the 15th. And you had kids to raise, and you were writing these books. How did you find time to <laughs> knock out 15 <laughs> books? How many kids do you have, Anne? Yeah, so, yeah, it, it's... It is when I, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about that taking a walk yesterday and how my oldest son was only 13 when John got sick and my my baby was only seven months when he became ill. And then Ian was, my oldest was uh, 17 when he passed and Elizabeth had just turned five. And well, I, how many kids no do you have? Eight. Oh. And, I, and, I, and I homeschooled them and... I, I look at it and I'm and I'm just constantly amazed because my sixth daughter Rebecca, she just got accepted to the university uh, this week. As a matter of fact, for the fall term, and so that puts six of my kids either they've graduated or they're in master's programs or they're in college, and they've all done just awesomely well. And and it's, and people go, oh, Anne, it's because you're a good mom. And I go, no, oh, it's, it's it's this is beyond me. They're, they're good people. We've had good support, but there is there is a supernatural grace that I can't define um, simply by saying, um, you know, I was a good person and I tried hard. It's not that simple because there there are all sorts of factors. You know, the the tragedy of that loss was so immense that. Healing took time, but like I say, the writing for me, I did that in the evenings. I did that, you know, at night for the most part. Sometimes I woke up really early and I just did some writing. So I, I found that, but it, it, it energized me. When I was able to do some writing, I felt like I, I kind of cleared my head and, and came back to a sense of centeredness, that in prayer time. And those were actually enabling me to plow into whatever the day held in store. And so I, I do believe, you know, people talk about, um, you know, stay-at-home mom. Well, I was a stay-at-home mom. I was an educator. I was trained as an educator. I had taught and I had done uh, Peace Corps and volunteer service. But my my 
service, my living has been kind of an integrated thing where everything I've done in the past prepared me for homeschooling and strangely enough, even for being a single mom, which was never on my radar, never. Um, but it, it's funny how when you look back, you go, God has been preparing me all along. He's been teaching me and training me. And one of these days, I'm going to learn some patience <laughs> and some of the other virtues I need. But, you know, I, I can't say how did I do it. I just can look back and be awed that things have worked out so well. Well, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I remember um, having uh, Mary Higgins Clark on my show a few times before she passed right. away. And she talked about the early days of her writing before she could write full time. Mm -hmm. And she said she would get up at, at 4 o'clock in the morning and write for a couple hours before getting the kids up and giving them breakfast and going off to work. And, mm -hmm. you know, it it was um, fascinating to hear how that, that commitment ultimately paid off. Mm -hmm. I think it's a need. I mean, I, I think for me anyway... Um, because right now I've kind of taken a break. Like, I do short stories and I do reflections. So life reflections, journey life reflections, which I compiled into two My Road uh, Goes Ever On books, um, which are basically based on my blog, which I have every Friday on my uh, website, akfraley.com. I have on Fridays these reflections, and then I have short stories. I alternate. Um, and I've taken a break for December because I really just needed to focus on the holidays and on kids and on doing all the things that are important. I've had four deaths this year. Uh, my brother died, my father died, my father-in-law passed away, and a cousin died. So it's been a tough year. So I needed a break. But I can sense, I was last night I was thinking, I need, I've got short stories hammering on my brain, and I need to get them out. It, I'll be in better shape when I get back to writing and, again. And any of those recent deaths COVID-related? Um, no. Uh, no, no, not none of them were. Uh, they were just uh, heart attack, uh, old age. My dad was 92, um, and I was lucky enough to get to see him before he passed. My brother, no, uh, it was a tragedy. He just died young. He got very sick and didn't realize it. He was in the hospital. Um, and I wasn't able to see him because of COVID until the very, very end. Hmm. I was so grateful I got to go see him for a little bit uh, the day before he passed. Well, um, I, I wanted to, yeah. to ask you that as, as sort of a lead-in to, um, you know, the, the silver lining for some people in the whole <laughs> year and a half to two years of, of quarantine and staying at home. Did, did that contribute to your productivity at all? Well, you know, we've always, because we're homeschooled, we live in a rural, um, we're outside the town here by about a mile, and it's in farm country. Um, though my kids go out, I have uh, one daughter who works at a laboratory in St. Louis. Uh, she's a geneticist, and I have another who's nursing Air Force, and then I have another um, who works at a hotel. Uh, so my kids go out, but primarily most of them live here or close. And so... There, we, there is a kind of interaction with the larger world, but it's 
for me, it's not huge. And so because I'm mostly home with the younger kids, you know, and still homeschooling them. So it's been more a prayer, you know, kind of like for people I know who are going through hard times and people, and they are, there are a lot of people being really hurt <clears throat> by these, by these challenging times. The, the name of the book, um, talking with uh, A.K. Fraley and Anne's latest book is Old Earth Melchior Encounter. And Anne, I um, wanted to ask you when this, uh, when this book was, uh, was or will be published. And also, um, I, I, I wanted to ask you if, um, well, l- let's, let's talk about that. First, when when did the book come out? Well, it came out a month ago. So, and I I just do it. I'm a self-published author, though I do hire editors, designers, and proofreaders. I really want them to be good. And I've had you know readers catch me and say, "Hey, there's a there's a spelling mistake on such and such a page," and I will go back and I will check it and I will fix it. So, I hope that my quality of work is up there with the best. That's my goal, is that my work really reflect the highest level of the craft. So it has been published through Amazon. Uh, The book um, Old Earth Melchior Encounter is the fifth in a series. Are there going to be more in that series? And do people need to go back and read one through four, or do the books hold up okay as standalones? Well, like I said, um, the only comment that I had negatively from some of the reviewers was that even though the book, Melchior in particular, is a standalone, the, they didn't completely understand the sci-fi aspects of it because the characters already knew each other. So I think, personally, if you really want to get the story, um, start with Aram. Aram, Ishtar, and Neb are all really one story in completion. You could read one out of the other, and you would understand it. Georgios is set in the first century, so again, it's a standalone. And then Melchior is in the fifth century, so again, the historical side of it is standalone. But if you want to get the science fiction connections, start with Aram and go all the way through. And then if you like the science fiction elements, they really pick up in Last of Her Kind, and then the next book is New Earth, Justine Awakened. So they're all available through Amazon, and they're all on my website, akfurley.com. Do you know how many books will end up being in the Old Earth series? Is um... I think that's five. I don't plan on going back to any more Old Earth just because um, it would. it's very challenging to go back and make sure you're not changed, like you talked about time travel. As an author, <laughs> you kind of have to be a time traveler. And it's very challenging to make sure you don't change a thread that is in a different book, written differently. So um, I don't want to mess it up. And I like the way it flows. And I think those are, like I said, humanity has been going through such, immense growth spurts. And I think I hit some of the, the key growth spurts that were intriguing to me. Now I kind of look to the future in terms of, because we are a technology-dependent and somewhat obsessed society, what does it look like for us in the future? What, where are we going? And I'm kind of 
looking to the future in terms of our struggles and if there were other aliens, if there are other worlds of, of interest, how are they going to see us and how are we going to see ourselves? You know, really, ultimately, how are we presenting ourselves to a larger universe? Well, speaking of future, what's up next for A.K. Fraley? Well, the next book, um, I am working on a series. It's Kindlevella. I don't know if you know about that, but it's a new thing Amazon was trying. It's an episodic serial writing uh-huh. where you write one episode at a time. And I've been doing that with a, uh, a novel, eventually be a novel, called Homestead. And it, again, is a woman on a homestead and technology crashes. And then she has to survive and make a home for, keep her family alive. So it's, it is kind of a um, sci-fi element. Uh, so I'm finishing that one. And then I am working on, uh, I will continue the short stories, the reflections every Friday on my blog. Anybody who wants them, they're free. Uh, just check in. And then also I am working on the next New Earth novel, which is called uh, New Earth, A Hero's Crime. Um. The the most recent book is uh, A.K. Fraley's 15th book, Old Earth Melchior Encounter. It is the fifth in the Old Earth series. Um, and Anne, I, I, I want to thank you for spending this time with me, and I want to give you a chance, as I do with all my guests. Um, you mentioned it once already, but I always like to give guests a chance to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you want to share your website again? Yes, akfraley.com. It's pretty easy. So it's just A-K and then Fraley, F-R-A-I-L-E-Y. Dot com. Well, Anne, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Uh, it's uh, It's been fun talking with you, and, and good luck with the book and, and everything else. Well, thank you so much. You have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Take care. Again, uh, A.K. Fraley is an award-winning, critically acclaimed author who uh, blends science fiction with historical fiction and her most recent uh, book is Old Earth Melchior Encounter. You can find out more about her and her books at akfraley.com. And we're going to take a short break. We're going to let our broadcast partners uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're uh, listening to us on 92.1 LPFM, Our Voices Radio, WFOV Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Production and my friend Paul Herring. As I said, we'll let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We've got lots more of the Tom Sumner Program. Christmas Eve edition straight ahead. In fact, we're going to talk with the star coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. Uh, We're going to talk with Ryan Carnes from a new Hulu movie, Cupid for Christmas. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. 
This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Lucy, the 
Delphina, Tamaya, Sammy, Lauren, Maya, Raya, Riley, Ella, Gabby, Emma, Alyssa, and the Tom Sumner Program. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. It's Christmas Eve, and the Bickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickersons' small apartment. Listen. John? John! Will you bring the scissors, please? John! What is he doing in there? Oh, no. How can a man fall asleep on a ladder? I haven't got the heart to wake him. I'd better get him off of there. John? John! Oh, ow. What's, the, what's the matter, Blanche? What happened, huh? Oh, you poor dear. Did you hurt yourself? No, uh, no, I'm all right. How did I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted. Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came. <laughs> Why, John? What? You never even touched your dinner. Not a morsel of it. I don't like the looks of it, Blanche. Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you? No, just tell me what's on that big plate. Are you trying to be funny, John? I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it? You know very well I can only cook two things. Liver and rice pudding. Well, which one is that? How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John? Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding. Well, why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough. I eat plenty. Well, what did you have for lunch today? Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking talking about. I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps. How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche? Go on. Eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree. I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep. Aren't you going to finish the tree? I can do it in the morning. But, John, tomorrow morning is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming, and the milkman is coming, and the... Listen, Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over? I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills. Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills. Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package, and I had to get her something in return. No, you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything. Well, she did just the same. So, 
I bought her a bottle of perfume. How much was that? $24. $24? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume. It, it was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume. Very daring. It's called Perhaps. Perhaps? For $24, you should get Positively. Don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card. I did send you a Christmas card. It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely. I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago. John, you, you promised you wouldn't shout. Well, then, why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had. I never received it. Well, then it got lost in the mail. Kevin. All the other cards came in. That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it? If you sent it. I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it, a beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck. All right, John. Well, you don't believe me? Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year. <sighs> What's the use? All right, so I didn't send you a card. That's all. Why didn't you just admit it before? There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument, but I really sent it. What did it say on it? Um, it said, uh, Merry Christmas to my love. That could be anybody. Let me finish. It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans. You're only adding insult to injury, John. Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my card. Oh, so it is. See, you didn't have to get so excited after all. Oh, thank you, darling. It's a lovely card. Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep. Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree. All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string. Well, can't you buy a bulb? The stores aren't open now. What time is it? Five past twelve. Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open presents. You didn't even hang up your stocking. I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh? Oh, all right. Say we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from? That's from Leo Goosby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle. Oh? Oh, is that what it is? I hope it's good stuff. Ah, mm, that's not bad at all. John, that's shampoo. Shampoo? Why, that chiseler, two-bit Leo? What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think, I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there? It's another present for you. Oh, it's from your boss. No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Oh, what is it, Blanche? A five-gallon can of lighter fluid. Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter. Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else. Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. He must get these things in a rummage sale. I never heard of such presents. Here's one for me, from Louise Shaw. Shoot, bet that's a dilly. Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Well, look at that. What is it? It's a polo score pad. Isn't that nice? That'll sure come in handy. 
Honest, Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else? Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I got you first, and then you can show me what you got me. Now, close your eyes. I'll unveil it. All right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I don't really want anything. Open your eyes. Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling. That way, that's beautiful. That's a dream. A portable bar with a brass rail. Don't you think a kiss is in order, John? Oh, a million kisses. Well, stop <laughs> kissing the bar. I meant a kiss for me. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. It's it's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh, Blanche, that must have cost a fortune. Now, John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat. You you sold your fur coat? I wanted you to have the bar, and I didn't have the money. You sold your coat, that beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday, that gorgeous bald mink? I got $75 for it. The bar cost 85 Oh, Blanche, you sh- never should have sold that bald mink. It doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat, and I never get cold. Yeah, but you don't understand. Um, open the present I got for you. I can't wait, John. Oh, a muff. A fur muff. Genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts, and you sold the coat. Oh, well, what's the difference, darling? Someday you'll make a lot of money, and then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. I'm very happy, John. I know, but... uh, And you still have the gorgeous bar. That's just it. What's the matter? I sold all my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us. I think it's wonderful, John. What do you mean, Blanche? I've never been so happy in my life. We've both made a sacrifice, and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me. I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey, most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults, what woman hasn't, or what man either, for that matter. We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve, and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way, and I love you more than anything on earth. John. Hey, hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver or rice pudding or whatever it is you made? (laughs) It's liver. I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. Let's go. Merry Christmas, darling. Merry Christmas. Good night, John. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.